definitely not putting no drugs in my birthing plan this time. I don't think I'll even have a birth plan this time. I think it's just like the second time round. I don't know whether it's like scarier or you feel more confident because you kind of know what's going to happen. But there's enough stories that you hear that like I just don't think you should be frightened by birth at all it's not something I look forward to per se um but it is a beautiful experience in the weirdest most craziest way ever because it's like you've never felt more powerful in your life because only half the world gets to do that or like not even half because a lot of women don't even get the opportunity to do that these days like we're so lucky I'm Alison Rice and welcome to Offline the Podcast. These are honest conversations about true self with the people behind the Instagram accounts and the teachers who help us on our way. A lot has changed since I launched Offline in September 2018. It started as a podcast and thanks to your ongoing support, it turned into a movement. Today, Offline exists to help us explore the essence of who we are and how to live, create and succeed in alignment with that. This is our true self. There's the podcast, a series of online courses I've created with our collective needs in mind and experiences that allow us to connect as a community. Visit getoffline.co to find out more or follow getoffline.co on Instagram. I hope this episode helps you on your way. Thank you for being here. My next guest is one of my absolute favorite women to follow on Instagram, Rebecca Burrow. If you're looking for a realistic insight into parenting a toddler, then I encourage you to follow Beck. The modern mother, model, and founder of Mini Marley Kids is about as real as it gets. She grew up in Wollongong on Sydney's south coast and today lives in Yallingup, WA, with her husband, Australian surfer Taj Burrow, their daughter Bella, and another little one on the way. At the time of recording, Beck was 16 weeks pregnant. This honest conversation was recorded live at an offline women's circle in Perth, in front of 25 warm and kind guests. I decided not to edit it, because I wanted you to be able to experience her just as we did that Sunday. Thank you to the QT Perth for hosting us in the Murray Room and allowing me to go wildly over time. Thank you also to Sophie, Maddie and Holly for donating your time and expertise to help me plan and execute such a meaningful offline women's circle. I hope you adore this one. Beck had us all captivated. She was generous and unguarded speaking about her time on Australia's Next Top Model and what being on the show meant for her career, meeting Taj and his burgering proposal, how she's coped after losing her beautiful mum, birthing and mothering Bella, and so much more. We laughed a lot and, of course, I cried. Here's beautiful Beck and I for Offline. I want to set the scene a little bit. We are in Perth, 
which is actually not your hometown, but we'll talk about that, where um, in a room at the QT Perth and there's 30 of us sitting in a circle together with um, some nice low lighting and candles and flowers and cushions and rugs. Thank you, Sophie and Maddie, (laughs) for organising all the beautiful soft furnishings. And we've just set some intentions for our circle today and I guess for our conversation as well. We didn't record what you had for breakfast by your request. It was very, very healthy though, in case you want to know. (laughs) It wasn't. I'll probably put it in the show notes what she really had. (laughs) Um, But I'd love to start by saying thank you for sitting down to have an honest conversation with me. Pleasure. Is this weird seeing it happening? I feel like not in my body at the moment. I've got to try and try and get in here. Um, so you, I know you listen, so I know you know what's coming. But this is my favourite part. <laughs> I know you know what the ending's going to be. So, um, But can you start by telling us a little bit about your childhood? Where did you grow up? And what was your childhood like? Um, I grew up in a small coastal town called Wollongong, which is just about an hour south of Sydney on the East Coast. Um, And I feel like I had a really pretty easy childhood. I've got one older sibling, um, a sister, and she's nine years older than me. So it was quite bizarre, like having a sibling, but being in a completely different time to her. So it was like a half only child. It was very bizarre. But um, yeah, it was really, really nice growing up in a small coastal town. Um, And I feel very privileged for that because it's pretty rare to be able to do that these days. Um, And I played a lot of sport, um, which kept me out of trouble, which was really nice, except my dad was my coach. So that didn't go down too well. Um, Yeah, I think I had a really nice upbringing. It's a strange thing. I don't have a lot of memories from my childhood. So I don't know whether that's some weird like trauma thing. Like it's not that it was particularly bad. I just often think when I ask people that question, what would I say? Because I don't – I can't bring up much. You know, some people have like that laser memory of like they can go back to particular situations. Mine just feels like a bit of a blur. Well, first of all – as I'm going to apologise to everyone here today, I've got a terrible baby brain. So, like, last week, let alone my childhood, is probably pretty bad, pretty hard for me to bring up. But I had this conversation with my mother-in-law and she's obviously much, much older than me but was talking about how she remembers her first memory, like, looking at her crib. And I don't know whether it's just different generations or different lifestyles and there's a lot, like more stress these days, which has probably not been good for our brains. Um, But yeah, I don't really have like, I've got little snippets here or there, but I don't really thoroughly remember that much of my childhood. Interesting thing. Yeah. Um, I know where you're from as the gong. That's exactly what it is. That's not as chic as Wollongong. No. But we used to drive down because I'm from Camden. Yeah. And so Wollongong was our closest beach. The gong is very fitting for the gong. We used like to drive to the deserved. gong. Yes. Yeah. I actually, I think it's, and I think it's very common for when you grow up in a small town, but I left when I was 18 to go up to Sydney and I was all excited and started going to events and I was like, this is the coolest thing ever. 
and I was like, get me out of this small town. I couldn't stand it. Like I haven't stayed close friends with many of my friends that I had in high school. My very best friend that I met on the first day of kindergarten now lives um, in the same town as me which is a very, very, very long way from where we started. Um, and she's the godmother to my child and we're really, really close and I'm so grateful for that. But I don't really talk to anyone else from school. So it was like I just – not that I thought I was too good or anything, but I was just like a bit bored of it. And it's a really beautiful town, but the people there are like quite difficult. It's was a little bit scary at times. It's like not – it's a little bit rough around the edges, which is why I'm the way I am. <laughs> I blame Wollongong, <laughs> but I'm thankful for Wollongong also because it really does ground you like being in a different place like that. And I see a lot of other people that have grown up in like a town like Sydney and they're just different lives. You can Something that comes up for me is like, because I'm small town as well. And I remember when I moved to Sydney and one of my girlfriends who was like born and raised in suburbs we got into a taxi <laughs> and she was like, uh, excuse me, driver, we're going to wherever. And I was like, doll, he's not our driver, like our personal driver. But it was, I just remember it was one of those, my first memories of like, there's a really different flavour so that comes different. with growing up in a, in a, like, I guess like a metropolitan city versus a small town. Cause even like getting a cab for me was still like, whoa, <laughs> yeah. we're going to pay. We're not going to ride our horse to the club. <laughs> <laughs> or like my beaten up Daihatsu charade <laughs> yeah. that had the number plate sad. Oh. And then what's so weird about that is when I bought, um, a Jeep, I upgraded when I got a, my good job, I was like, I'm going to buy a Jeep. And the number plate was cry. Ooh. So, like these two depressed cars. Did you change them? No, I just thought that's Run with it. meant to be for and my vehicle. And crying makes you feel better. Yeah. So, there you go. That's what we've learned. Maybe it was like mm. trying to tell you something. You need to let it out <laughs> in order to be a better person. <laughs> Is that a podcast? Um, <clears throat> you mentioned your sister and I would love to know about your relationship with her. I think it's really interesting with our siblings, the relationship we have with them when we're little versus teenage years. Like I know my relationship with my sister was quite complex in my teenage years, but now we've become friends. And so I just wondered if you could speak a little bit about sort of who she is to you and how your relationships evolved. Yeah, that's exactly what mine is like actually. So she's nine years older than me, which is a huge gap Um, mentally, mentally, physically, like everything and I think I idolized her so much when I was a small child and all I wanted to be was her and I was like completely obsessed with her like wanted to do everything she did I remember she had a boys to men t-shirt and I would have been so little like I should have been listening to like the wiggles and sesame street but I was like I like boys to men I didn't even know any of their songs but I just thought it was so cool but I invaded her bubble so much because But we like obviously couldn't do the same things because I was so much younger and I didn't realise by being so obsessed with her that she was just – I was invading her space and because I was so cute and so much younger, I would steal attention from her friends and like probably steal mum and dad's attention and it – we didn't – we didn't really get along when we were little. Like – good enough but we can't we live separate lives and then when we grew up a little bit and she was like a teenager and then turning 18 
I stole all the clothes, trashed them all. I remember we went to the field. I, this what this is like one thing that sticks out in my mind, which is like not something that's an important memory that I should remember, but for some reason it just makes me giggle. But we went to the Philippines and she had these really cool, I can't remember what they were called, but they were like the chic thong that came out and they were like, she had this bright, pink metallic pair like not Havana's they were made of like leather or something I don't know I can't remember what they were called but she was so thrilled with having them it was like having a Louboutin now pretty much and she changed her shoes because she had to put normal shoes on and left me with the thongs in a cab in the Philippines and I left them in the cab and I pretty much only just lived it down and this is probably about 15 years later We've only just become <laughs> over it. But it I was thongs. just like constant things that I was doing to her. Like I would I would have been the worst sister. I understand why she hated me, but now we are absolute best friends. We just went on a girl's trip to Bali. and oh, I saw that. Yeah, it was really nice. Yeah, that looked really beautiful. Um, I didn't know the answer to this question. Were you modelling before Australia's Next Top Model? Yes. So I started modeling when I was, I can't remember exactly. I was either 14 turning 15 or had just turned 15. And um, Channel V used to have this TV show called Room 208, which was like this very bizarre TV show where it was pretty much like you were in like a disco, but it was a somewhat dancing competition too, but not like a hip hop, like everyone's going to do their own dance. Like you have to dance, like you just at a party, but then you get picked the best answer. It's very bizarre. I feel like I actually might remember this. Like it's one of those things where I'm like, oh, it's coming, like travelling back yeah. through. Room like, 208 was a thing and they did like a road trip and they came down to Wollongong and it was an underage disco and I was so excited and I bought these – I actually stole them from my sister again – a pa- um, pair of like cork wedges waltzed in there. <laughs> I really felt myself and the woman that was a host her name was Chloe Maxwell um, and she was quite a big model at the time and she came up to me at one stage I'm really I'm really bad at dancing too like I think I'm good but I'm very awkward I thought I was good and then I saw myself in the background of a video and I was like that is not what was going on in my head it was like a real out-of-body experience um, and anyway, she had looked past that and she's like, have you ever modelled before? And I said, absolutely not. I think I was just like really tall and I had Amazon hair. So it was like I stuck out from other people because I'm quite different looking now. And Wollongong wasn't a really diverse place either. Now it is a bit more, but I stood out to her and she got my number and contacted me. Oh, maybe if my parents were, I don't even think I had a phone then. My parents were really mean. the home phone. Yeah. Can you call my home phone and ask for Beck? Um, And I ended up going up for a meeting with Sheik, her agency. And my mum and dad came with me and I was really nervous. And they were like, yeah, we want to take you on. Um, We'll do some test shoots. We've actually got a showcase in five days so a showcase I don't even think they I don't think they're a thing anymore but it was like basically a catwalk show with all of the models from the agency Miranda Kerr was there I didn't know who she was I had to buy my first pair of heels to do catwalk practice because I didn't own a pair um and at the same time they just had that girlfriend model search competition yes because she won that didn't she is that the one Miranda Kerr won I think so yeah 
I think so, maybe. There was like a couple of things, like Gem Award. I don't know whether she was on oh. a TV show or she did that too, but like a lot of huge models have come from it. And Chic was like the mother agency of where you went if you won. And Abby Lee was the winner that year. But we were like the same age. So we were like these little goofy kids like, oh my God, camel practice, this is so cool. And like being backstage and like all – I was a 15-year-old child. Like – and I was – I think I was like – a pretty immature 15-year-old. Like, I see 15-year-olds these days and I'm like, are you 15 or are you 25? I didn't – they don't have this awkward stage anymore. I don't know what happened to the world, but they skipped the whole awkward stage and they just turn into these, like, beautiful, curvaceous – I really think it has to be, like, access and Instagram and just their taste levels – are so immaculate yeah. because they like aesthetically they can shape that. Whereas yeah. we just had sure. what we had, yeah. and then you had to develop that on your own. Exactly, I had to I buy my first pair of heels. I was wearing a skirt from Supre, like that's. But that was cool. Everyone did that, but it was just like, yeah, it was really different, and it was so exciting, and it was like f- these big lights and like cameras, and yeah. So that was my start. And then um, I was researching. It's been 11 years since you were on the show, which is so crazy. Um, I wondered, I mean, tell us about auditioning for it and getting onto it, but also like what memories do you have from being on that show? Because it was quite a new concept at that time and it was really popular. Like I remember it was like all anyone was watching and then, you know, once they get about 10 seasons in, everyone's like, oh, righty. Hmm. But you were quite – I was season four. Uh, yeah, so early. Yeah, so 2008. Um, I had watched all of the seasons before and was completely obsessed. Um, and then I, I really never, ever thought it was even like – a figure of my imagination that I would get on. But it was my friend modelled as well. And we were like, oh, my God, we were actually dating brothers at the time. And to set a scene of where I was in my life, I'd finished school, flunked my HSE, got a job at a Porto's, which was my first full-time job. Yes. Um, (laughs) And me and my girlfriend were dating these brothers. And they had an audition in Sydney and we're like, let's just go. It'll be so fun. And then we can go shopping in the city and it'll be such a fun day. And I remember like you get there and it's full on. Like chicks are like heavy breathing and like, I don't know. It was just like and probably another small town thing. I was just so like astonished by it, the whole thing. But I had this like aura of confidence about me because I was with my friend so it was like if I went on my own there's a hundred percent chance that I wouldn't have made that show but we you like go in and you fill in your forms and you all stand in a line and there's like a panel down the other end and they're so terrifying as well it's like the scariest people Priscilla who's like this big um agent in Sydney but she's like a scary Especially if you don't know her. She's actually really nice, but she's one of those people that just like, well, she's critiquing you and she's going to end up, whoever ends up winning is with her agency. So she's like got her work eye on and you have to walk for them. But I was so confident. It was like I had this almost fake confidence about me because I had my friend with me and it was like, I never thought I was going to make it anyway. And then something about that is not anything in life where you don't really care. 
course. Is when you yeah. it's when you really want something and you're trying to like control the outcome. Yeah. That often and it got to that too because I made it through that first round and I was like, oh, that's amazing. And then you had to go back and do a video interview after. And I still had this confidence then because I just, I don't know, it was like I didn't care about it that much. And then after that, they sent you this great, it was like longer than any of the HSE exams I just did. And like, but it was like pretty insane. It was like, how do you react when you when something makes you mad? Or how do you – obviously, they're just picking their reality stars then. Um, and so I must be a psycho because I made it. Um, but they're like, when was the last time you hit something? Like, it was really crazy. I was like, I don't even know. And, like – and then because I was at – I was 18 and I was, like, so easily influenced and I was almost writing things like – how am I going to get on this show? Like, cause it, it was all I wanted at the time. And then, yeah, my friend got the phone call first and she got in and then I didn't get a call for a couple of days. And I was like, this is so crazy. This is so unfair. I shouldn't have told her auditions were on. I've made a big mistake. And then they called me and it was a while after. And I don't know why so much of my life is revolved around food, but I was at Cold Rock Ice Creamery and I remember the exact moment and they told me and I literally ran outside and like was running up the street with my arms in the air screaming. And then I found out later, like the reason I, um, it took me so long to find out was I think someone else had pulled out and I got that little spot. Divine So I don't know whether that was a good thing or not, but mm. it was, sorry continue on but it was a crazy experience I would never let my daughter do it that's what I want to know is like what is the reality of being on a reality show yeah Yeah. I would never ever ever let Bella do it but I would I don't regret it at all because it has given me so much opportunity and it gave me so much confidence and I got to do amazing things um, but at the same time, I could have easily spiralled and gone the other way because it was quite a traumatic experience, really. Why? Um, well, what you don't know a lot of the time. Obviously, we know reality TV is not reality. But we were all young girls. Like there was girls in there that were 16. My friend Demel's a one and she was only 16 years old. It's crazy. And you have to quit your whole life because you're in the house for like – up to three months or maybe even more um so people quit their whole lives we didn't get paid to do it they um boarded us and like we obviously got a lot of stuff but I don't know like how a lot of people do it these days like if you've got a job if you've got to pay rent like it's pretty crazy and I think they do now because it's like turned into a big thing and um at the time we didn't get paid um I guess that's probably the question you'd ask yourself now is like is my desire to be famous so great that I would sacrifice everything else I have in my life yeah. for the fame? Yeah. yeah. And I don't know, like, I was just so excited at the thought of, like, being on – it wasn't like I wanted to be this famous superstar um, because I know what I'm like and I'm, <laughs> I'm like, people are not going to like me. I say too much. I, like – I ended up being the bully on the show. He's – I'm not a bully – I'm just obviously very truthful but that and that's a thing like we were such young women they grew it's like they had decided from this crazy questionnaire that we did at the start who we were going to be before we even got into that house and we 
the whole week we had to like choose two people before we went in that we could have phone conversations with and we had we could only have um I can't remember whether it was one every couple of days or one a week now because it was so long ago but um we could only have a 10 minute phone call and it was fully recorded like you couldn't even say what you wanted to say like and especially when this whole bullying thing happened because I was just like I don't know what's going on right now and the all the judges like yelled at us and called us dabdo dogs like when I look back and I'm friends with Alex Perry now I think he's amazing he was saying the most horrible stuff to me I'm like how didn't that guy get in trouble like he called me a moose and he wanted to shoot me with a shotgun that See, and that just he's goes a to show grown like 11 man. years later that would not fly I know like it's and it was it was like a different time um mm. And that it was quite a controversial season because of this bullying thing and like that and like bullying has become such a big thing since then with the internet. Like I don't think Instagram wasn't a thing definitely back then. Um, I think I had Facebook. Um, That's when we would have had like Tumblr. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, I think I had a Tumblr with like some crazy name about a, a rose or something. <laughs> <laughs> I'm sure there's really cool um, things on there if you can pull it back up. Side off. note, when I met Tony, because he was, of course, older and very established in his career and I was just like this young 24-year-old, like, I'm a writer. And I had, um, I had a Tumblr and I used to upload like little love things for him on my Tumblr and then send in the link. Really I know, sweet. like New Yorker cartoons. Like, like I'm notes. super mature and intelligent. I read the New Yorker. <laughs> Isn't it funny the I things know. you do to impress an older man? Yes. I'm here. <laughs> I feel that. <laughs> Just so you know. <laughs> it worked twice. <laughs> um, describe the ways in which your life changed after the show. Because at this time, were you still living in... Wollongong or you would move to the city by then? No, I was still living in Wollongong at that stage. Um, it work-wise, because I was modelling before then, uh, I changed agencies and I left Chic, which is a really, really amazing agency. Um, but I had to clear myself of being tied to anyone before I went on the show. Um, but uh, like I wasn't getting that much work before then. It wasn't like I was like – had. it wasn't hard for me to quit that because I was honestly this gangly thing – with braces. I can't remember if I still had braces on the show. Maybe not. I don't think you did. Um, but, yeah, I definitely hadn't grown into myself at all. I wasn't getting much work. And if it was, it was like a little girlfriend magazine shoot or something. So it wasn't the hardest thing to give up. Um, but I gave that up. And then afterwards, it's so crazy because you think this is going to – because it's a modelling show, it's going to perpetuate your career and you're going to do all this stuff – no one wants to touch you with a 10-foot pole. And it's very different these days because it is considered so much more credible now. But back in those days, and especially because of this bullying thing, again, it was like you were the reality TV star who was like more cast for your reality TV person than actually a genuine model. Um, so we would go to castings and it was like, it's like we weren't taken seriously and then it was almost like this weird like you were back in high school moment where the other legit models, I'm a legit model too, um, but they were like, it was very groupy. It was like kind of and 
I would be so thankful if I saw another girl from Top Model or someone I knew there so I could go and like huddle with them. And yeah, and like, cause there's models from all different ages too. It was like, there was some older girls and they were really intimidating and I'm quite a confident person too. Um, so I don't usually find it that hard to fit in places, but it was very daunting to work and do things after. Like establish yourself yeah. outside of the show. Yeah. I wonder what it felt like to be so out of control of your own image. Like I can imagine that would just make me really angry and frustrated that I'd been portrayed a way that wasn't accurate. Do you know what's really bizarre? I feel like that made me grow up a lot because at the start and I would read these like forums and people were like, I want to kill Rebecca. How dare she be like that? Like we got hate mail, we got death threats, we got like – it's you don't realise that people are so – like they care so much. You think that people are just going to watch it and it's just going to go over their heads. Like people get really invested. And I did not know how to take that on as a 18-year-old woman. I just was just like, oh my gosh, what have I done? Can't take it back. It's out there now. And I remember um, we had to do radio interviews. So the two girls, it was like me and these two girls that got called the bullies. They were all very lovely ladies and I'm still friends with them. Um, and one of them was still the – because it was like episode four or something where this aired. One of them was still in the competition. She ended up winning so they wouldn't let her do an interview. The other one was younger, a year younger than me and it was a friend that I went in with and she was just an anxious wreck. So they're like, she can't talk. So I had to take the brunt of all of the interviews and I remember I did a Kyle and Jackie O interview – and I was just – and because, too, like, when something like that happens, I didn't want to be defensive about it. I knew it wasn't me, but I didn't want to be, like, standing up for the bullies. You know what I mean? Like, I don't want to portray that either. And it was just, like, I felt like whatever I said was wrong. Like, there's no way I could get out of this con- – like, I couldn't get out of it. And so I just had to, like, take it on the chin. Um, but I had – I grew up a lot because – I knew that the people that really knew me or were going to meet me and take the time to know me would figure it out pretty quick that I wasn't like that. And I just uh, – that, like, really set a scene for the next 10 years of my life because I'm very unfiltered and I'm quite unapologetic and I'm like, you know what, if you don't like me, there's enough people in the world that I'm going to find someone that does. And I would almost do things like I did a lot of topless dancing on bars and it really rubbed people up the wrong way. And like the same thing now, if I saw Bella doing that, oh my gosh, I would pull her by the hair and like, be, but it was like a way to filter out people that didn't want to take the time to get to know the real me. It was like this weird thing and I didn't know it until I looked like back a sense on it of later. acting out. Yeah. Yeah. How, cause I, one of my questions was like, I know you spent some of those years in Bondi <laughs> <laughs> and different Bondi to where my life in Bondi. It's not fancy. I'm just it like was not fancy. A complete Bondi. loser that goes to bed at eight o'clock every night. Um, but what? Yeah. What did you learn in those kind of? I've written down like crazy Bondi years because what yeah. I saw before I didn't know you was just like you guys were just like out. That is exactly what it was. Yeah. Crazy Bondi years. It wasn't like Aperol spritzes or icebergs on a Sunday afternoon. <laughs> Let me tell you. First of all, I don't know how I had any money when I lived in Sydney. I have no idea. I had like 
jobs and I feel like I would call in sick most of the time and work one day a week at like a bar somewhere or I don't know how I managed to get through but I feel like a lot of the reason we could go out so much and be so present everywhere was because our friends like were promoters at the clubs and we would get free drinks so that's why we were out more because it was like cheaper to go out than it was to feed yourself at home so we call these like the revolver years there was this club in Bondi called White Revolver and they did like a Wednesday night and it was like everyone was there who is out on a Wednesday that's I went out every single Wednesday I didn't even live in Sydney for half of this too I would drive from Wollongong in my beat up Astra and sleep on a couch at my friend's house and I went out every Wednesday for over a year without fail (laughs) disgusting on a Wednesday and then I would drive home hung over to TAFE the next day to my event management course and some you know when you're like a young person you can just do that it's like hangovers aren't a thing now I have to be in bed for a week to be young. I, yeah, we won't talk about my hangovers. <laughs> um, I would love to talk about your beautiful husband. <laughs> How did you meet? Was that in these years? This was the crazy Bondi years. Oh. Yeah. So when I first started, like, I guess doing the event circle in Sydney, when I just had come off Top Model, um, I made really good friends with this guy, Shane Moran and he was kind of like the promoter guy in Bondi that like gets all the younger people not like he's a creepy old man he kind of is sorry Shane Uh, he won't listen to this he's like creepy old men don't listen to this and um he would like he was so good though at because Sydney's such a transient town so like not that many people from Sydney are actually from there so he was so good because he would like introduce you to everyone and you would make such good friends and he was just like the go-to guy the fun guy the party guy like he was actually in Taj's groom's party for the wedding he's like one of our really good friends so we just had the same friend circle and because Taj flies so many places around the world um, he would fly through Sydney all the time to like fly out so he would come through Sydney a lot and hmm, our stories are very different about how we met but I remember going to the MTV Awards and I had a different boyfriend at the time and I saw Taj and he was I was like oh my god what who does that guy think he is he had this electric blue jacket on and I was like oh my gosh look at that guy that's so embarrassing and I know and then someone was like oh that's Taj and I was like I knew Taj I knew who Taj was because I grew up in a small surfy town. So, like, we would go to parties and the boys at the parties would be playing surf movies. But I just didn't – I was like, oh, my God, there's Brian McFadden. That's so exciting. (laughs) Tash was, like, not exciting to me. Um, Vanilla Ice was there too. That was really cool. Brian (laughs) McFadden. How you get you was a legit situation with Delta Goodrum. I feel like this this is a baby brain moment. I just no, I love it. It just you're taking me to places where I'm like, oh my god, yes. (laughs) And yeah, so I had seen him that night, but we didn't speak. Um, And then it was probably like a while after that. I'd broken up with my boyfriend, um, and. Shane, this one friend that made friends with everyone, he was like, oh, Taj wants me to give him your number. And I was like, oh, 
No, like that guy in the blue jacket. Yeah, <laughs> God no! Like he's so much older than me, and I was like, no, and I said no at the start. And then Shane spoke to me again, and he's like, he just really wants your number. Can I give it to him so he doesn't annoy me anymore? Like, let him annoy you. It's you that he's trying to get to. And I was like, okay. And we ended up going on a date to White Revolver. <laughs> But there was this like fake chic bit out the front. It was a wine bar called Through the Grapevine. So it was like revolver bit a little bit nicer. Um, And he like got me a cheese platter and we had a glass of wine, which was like very not me. But once again, trying to pretend you're like all sophisticated. And I kind of went into like, I didn't think anything of it at the start. And then when I agreed to this date, I was like, oh, you don't fall for this guy like he's a playboy and like his ex-girlfriends are so ridiculously good looking like he's done really well in his life obviously ended up with the golden egg but (laughs) he's like had really intimidating ex-girlfriends so to go on a date with him it was like don't get your hopes up too far too high he fully wooed me and this is probably too much information but we hooked up that night and I was like don't do it don't do it don't do it did it (laughs) drove home the next day down the highway went to TAFE and I was just like what have I got myself into and it was just I knew exactly what I'd done it was just on and he had me hook line and sinker Mm. for like the next 10 years (laughs) but we were like really good friends and it was like I'm so glad it happened the way it did it's not an ideal situation because it was very messy in the middle. But if we had gotten together any sooner, I don't feel like we'd be together today. It was just like divine timing because he wasn't ready and I probably wasn't ready either. Um, So we went through like a lot of stuff and we were like, let's just be friends and we could never really be friends. And I was like, you know what? You either have to let me go. I can't be friends with you. Like we've tried to be friends and we cannot be friends. So you either have to let me go or like make a serious commitment to me. And because we'd been friends for so long and he was older at this stage. I think I was 25, 24 because we had my 25th birthday together. But it was like because we'd been friends for so long, it wasn't like when we started dating, it was going to be this like little fling and let's see how it goes. Like we knew each other so well. It was like we either set ourselves down for good or we don't. So it was like on pretty quick. And then I got – so, yeah, so that was when I was 24 and we – I had Bella when I was 26. So I was like quick. Wow. But we had already done so much of the groundwork even though it was like not traditional but, yeah. Mm. So good. Um, I wondered if you could share with us like what you've learned about love through loving him. Like when I think about my story with Tony, like I thought I knew what love was, but it's not until you are in the deepest, darkest parts perhaps or in the high highs that you feel, yeah, yeah just the different levels of it, I guess. Yeah. But I mean, I still have not figured it out, let me tell you, <laughs> for one. But I feel like I'm constantly learning um, and marriage is and like every stage is different too like kids change everything and the marriage changes everything and it's so funny because I was like 
being married is not really going to change anything because you lose a lot of money um, after one day. But it's like you have this, you have the same relationship. You just get to celebrate it. But like we'd already had a kid, so it was like a kid is way more commitment than a marriage these days. You can get divorced, you can get your wedding annulled if you need to, but like you've got this kid for life. So that's what we always said because I assumed he wasn't going to be the marriage type of guy. Um, but yeah, it was like we've already like made the commitment to each other by having a child where bind for life let's at least celebrate it with all of our friends and that was kind of our stand on it but we I feel really lucky with Taj I really do and I feel like because we did fight it for so long we have a really special like I feel like we've been in the honeymoon phase for a long time like and I feel really lucky about that especially these days and I think about it happening like obviously not for a long time but Bella like I feel like I see a lot of women around me almost settle because we've got this like ticking time bomb of when we can have children and and like a lot of guys go for like younger girls and you're like oh my god I'm getting a bit older and like no one's gonna like you you get really nervous and like people like don't want to end up alone but being alone is also really nice. <laughs> There's well, way like less fights. Being, <laughs> being like in your singledom and like embracing it and loving it and honouring it is way better than being in a relationship where it's out of scarcity and lack and if I am not in this and I don't have anything because it's like not until we're secure in who we are. Like everything comes from there, you know. And I've been in relationships like that before. I've been in so many relationships where you just – because it's not necessarily that you never like this person and you're forcing it the whole time. Like you know it was there once but people just change and like it's like you remember this one good part that could be years ago. It could be so long ago but you try and you try to get that back and then we feel like – if you've been in a relationship for a long time, it's like, oh, that was a waste of my time and I've lost all these years and, like, now I've got to start from the start again. And, like, dating is scary too. It's really scary. So people are like, you know what, I'm not going to deal with that again. I'll just stay in this and I'll make this work. But I feel really bad and, like, I try to give a lot of my girlfriends advice um, and I just, like – I think it's really good now that there are like women's circles and like podcasts and things that really push femininity and like teach you to really love yourself first because that is – it's changed our lives and I've seen it change so many lives around me Um, and it's at that point where you're all like – I was – just telling you I drove down it's a three-hour drive from where I live and I drove listening to Lizzo the whole way like super loud if you are having a bad day put Lizzo on and you feel amazing it's like the best thing but it's like to feel empowered and to you and you're so attractive Uh, there's nothing more attractive than an empowered woman I think it's the most beautiful and like amazing thing so yeah that is incredible advice Honestly, no, it is. Um, <laughs> Thanks. I just want to share with you that my f- leg is so asleep. <laughs> you know when it feels like it's not attached to your body anymore? That's how it feels. Like I'm just trying to like wiggle my toes. Like, are you still there? But it feels so heavy. It's quite <laughs> distracting. <laughs> Do you want a massage? Um, kind of. I offer those as well. 
it's just a weird feeling, isn't it? <laughs> like, are you my leg? Yes. Um, you moved from Bondi to how do you pronounce the town that you live in? Yelling up. Yelling up. I just didn't want to get that All wrong and the then sound towns, like an idiot. Like Perth is like the one normal sounding town. Mm. Everything else is like sometimes you look when it, like you drive down south and you look at the name of a town on a map uh, on a sign and you're like I can't even pronounce that. There's like I'm gonna get this wrong for sure. Manjudugurap Road or something. That is not even a word of a lie. Can you imagine seeing that on a sign? It's like so everything's weird, but um. Up at the end of a town means place of by the sea. So that's why like a lot of places there's like meal up and yelling up and quorum up and like down near where we are. Well, the question I had was, so you moved from that Bondi life to like what is quite a sleepy coastal town. It's a really big lifestyle change. And I read that you didn't think twice about doing that. Can you just talk about that transition and why that felt so right for you but also I guess I want to know like is has there been any moments of grieving your old lifestyle or are you fully in that world now I was really worried when I was um I was ready and happy to give it all up to move to yelling up not give it all up because I lived in Bonai from when I was 18 to 25 and let me tell you I gave it a real nudge while I was there (laughs) like I was that's like a long time to be really social and like be going out a lot and like eating out a lot and like meeting new people. Like it's pretty exhausting to be honest. Um, I worked for this amazing guy, um, Jose Perez at, he has a law firm and I was his PA. Um, but it wasn't like a career that I wanted to stay in forever. I was really thankful that I had such a good job and I could tell people I was a lawyer because I worked at a law firm, which I know I'm not allowed to do, but I did it. (laughs) And I would wear a trench coat and I'd be like, yeah, I'm a lawyer. Um, (laughs) I would send them like a work email. Hey, from PV Lawyers, Rebecca at pvlawyers.com.au. And, but it wasn't like, like I didn't feel like I had anything tying me to the town like I my family um I didn't really like live with my family because they were still down south which is only an hour away but like I still wouldn't it's not like we would have weekly dinners or whatever so I talked to my family on the phone and that for us and we were we're really close and talking on the phone was as good as seeing each other for us because we're just like quite conversational as you might be able to tell by now um So I was really ready and because of this commitment thing with Taj, like I was like all or nothing now, I was really ready to like show him that I wanted to make that commitment and he would never, ever, ever not live at his house because he, it's his dream house. He grew up there and his favourite surf spot is in front of our house and he like stalked the woman that owned the property before him and was like, you have to sell me that house. He didn't stalk her. He wasn't like looking at her with binoculars but he would write her emails and be like, can you, you have to send me, you have to sell me your house. Like I need to own that house. Cause it was only, there's a lot of holiday homes down there. Um, now it's even in the five or six years that I've been there, it's changed a lot. Um, but it was mostly holiday homes back then. And it was her holiday home. And she like just kept him on a string for years and years and years. And she's like, I'm going to sell it to you. And then she's like, Oh, actually, no, I'm not going to do it. And she would take it back. Um, and she did that for years and he had another house um, on Yelling Up Hill. 
And one day he was on his way to Hawaii and he was about to get on the plane and he got a call from his real estate agent or whoever calls you to tell you someone's going to sell you the house. And he was like, she's got the papers ready. She's going to sell you her house. And he was just like over the moon because it's all he's ever wanted. Um, yeah. So he would, it so was, there was no way. There, no, <laughs> there's no way we will ever live anywhere else. And I'm so glad because it's, I love it. Um, but that's the thing. It's like, he's never going to move away. If I don't love this place, it's like I'm in a pretty hard spot then. Because what was it like going from like fast, crazy, social to all of a sudden being alone? Yeah. Really? Yep. In silence? I just feel like there's yeah. – and I know I think about that with like even when I have a baby, I'm like I'm so glad I've transitioned in the last 12 months to being at home more because I can't imagine of going from that big job to then just being alone with a newborn. Yeah, mm. and it is such a contrast and it's like – and that's why we have so much like huge problems with like postnatal depression and stuff because it's like, whoa, and you question your whole life and you question yourself. You question the decisions you've made and you don't want to like lose yourself. It's a scary – I think that's one of the scariest parts about being a mum. You never want to lose yourself but you do change so much. I think you become a better self sometimes. But like you it's scary to lose that part of yourself and to go from party central in Bondi to move to yelling up, which like we are, there's a pub, like that's there's not it's a very sleepy town and I love I love it for that. I was really ready though. Like I said, I'd given my partying years like a real big nudge. I didn't feel like there was anything lacking. I'd travelled overseas, I'd like done a lot. And accomplished a lot. I wasn't stuck in a career. Like it wasn't like this. I had to leave my career. Um, leaving my girlfriends was really hard. Um, and that space. Because I was saying to my friend on the phone this morning. I feel like I've completely lucked out in the girlfriends thing. Like I my say, friends. Like what I've seen of, oh, from what you put on social. Like they look like an incredible I feel guilty. Like I've stolen the very best ones. Everyone can, I'll invite you over. You can all meet these girls because I feel like I have to share them. They're like the most incredible humans in the whole world and I feel so lucky. So it was hard to move away from them. Um, but you keep in contact, like that's what happens when you get older. You don't lose a friendship just because your physical location has changed. Like, and we're really lucky with like FaceTime and phones and yeah, I speak to my girlfriends all the time and like everyone grows older, like they've all got careers now. So it's not like we're like hanging out all day and we just do the Bondi to Bronte at whatever time of the day we wanted and like sitting at a cafe. It's not like that anymore. So you just change your relationships. But if you, and they do take work as well. Like you've really got to try. You don't just bump into each other on the street. Like you've got to really put time into those relationships. But if it's worth it and if these people are so important to you, then it's so easy to foster that. I think but yeah so this move I actually I think this was something that was so pinnacle for me I had some girlfriends there already that had done that had lived in Sydney for little bits and that was really going to a fully new town completely isolated and like I said like I'm quite a friendly person and I'm quite chatty so um I can talk to a wall really but it's still like it's intimidating and you don't like it's not like you would go to a bar and yelling up to meet people it's like you can't door knock on people's house and be like hey 
here's I'm a bottle of here. wine, want to be my friend? Like, <laughs> it's not like that. And there's lots of families there. So, like, people do keep to themselves a little bit. But my friends down there all have kids that are similar ages to me. One of my girlfriends actually had her baby within 12 hours and I heard it happen because I was in the room next door. What? Insane. I know. We were due two weeks apart and it just divine timing. It was really funny because my labor – see, I ended up on these like crazy tensions. No, was my next Sorry. question for you was that. So. Oh, there you go. See, we're on the same page. <laughs> when we were breathing, we like joined forces. Um, yeah, so – my labour was so hard and so fast and it's going to be fine. <laughs> um, I've just made really intense eye contact with <laughs> To the pregnant ladies. To the, preg- the pregnant ladies. I know there's at least Olivia, one. who's pregnant over here. Um, but it was really intense because it was really quick. And I'm one of those people when I'm sick, I don't want to like do – I just want to lay in the fetal position and like go to sleep until I miraculously wake up and I'm better. So when I was labouring, I laboured at home for quite a bit and I didn't want to be touched or moved. And Taj was like timing my contractions and he's like, oh, I think we're supposed to go to the hospital now. And the hospital is half an hour away from my house. That's like, yeah, everything's quite far away from even in Perth, but like down south, it's like another level. And this one road to get to the hospital had roadworks. So I was like, I don't want to move. I don't want to move. And Taj was like, okay, we're moving. He picked me up put me in the car he'd set up he's so cute he set up like he put the chair back and set up this like bed in the car for me with a doona and a pillow and he puts me in the car and um I was like are we close are we close and he's like yeah 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 we're close he's a bad liar he's like yeah 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 we're close I looked up and we were like 50 metres from my house stuck at a stop sign because of the road works and I just like Screamed. Were you like, I'm having this baby in the car? Yeah, well, by the time I got to the hospital, I it was like, I looked like a gunshot victim. Like, I was like slouched. This is not going to happen for you again. I was slouched over Taj's, like, over his shoulders, like, walking into the hospital. And the you know how there's, like, little old ladies at the front of the hospital which tell you where to go? They jumped out of their seats. I didn't even think they could jump they jumped out of their seats and they're like oh my god she's having a baby isn't she and they put me in a wheelchair like it was very dramatic they put me in a wheelchair and like wheeled me down and they had just built a new hospital where we were um and it's really quite bizarre because Taj was born at the same hospital and they had just built a new hospital when he was born too yeah which is killer fact and um they uh, had these beautiful labouring suites and they had a bathtub in this. I, w- I had planned on having a natural birth and doing a water birth. Like I had like a three-page birthing plan <laughs> <laughs> and I had three different playlists saved on my Spotify depending on what mood I would be. I said I we had um, my mum and my mother-in-law were waiting outside. I was like, there's no way they can come in. I just want the room to be like essential oils and like so zen I don't want anyone to be in here it was not that um we I got the midwife that I had like fallen because you don't I don't know what it's like anywhere else but at our hospital you don't like choose which midwife you're having unless you hire a private one but I went all publicly because we're really lucky down there um so you don't choose which midwife and you just get who's on shift um, and but I kind of fall in love with this one, and I was like, "Don't get it in your head." There's like 
10 midwives like there's no way I looked up from my wheelchair and she was like standing in the corridor and I was like oh my god yes <laughs> and because um water birth at the hospital was such a new thing she was one of the only midwives that was competent to do a water birth so I was just like locked out and um yeah three hours later and a quite a big push Bella came wow. so you didn't even have the opportunity of it or you didn't want an epidural or you had no opportunity anyway? Because they say once you get to a point, there's yeah. kind of no. I was like at the point of no return when I got there. Um, and in Did my you hear that? Thre- I went, fuck. <laughs> yeah, exactly. That's like there's no other reaction. In uh, my three-page Word document, um, I had requested no drugs, which is a bad idea. Don't write that because I remember being in the room. Like it's you. the best part about birth is like, you know in Men in Black where they have that little stick and they go boop and you can't remember anything? Your body does that to itself. It's amazing. So like whatever happens, you get through it and then like just after, you're like, oh, I just did that. I'm superwoman. Like like I, like little 15-year-olds have babies sometimes. Like crack addicts have babies. Like so many women do it. And there's <laughs> don't worry about the horror stories because there are so many horror stories, but everyone gets through it. And then you get to the other end and you're like, oh my God, this is like all I've ever wanted. I feel like I'm in like a, bir- <laughs> <laughs> mater- a maternity talk. And you. Um, yeah. So it was just like, I was begging, like, give me drugs. Like a insane crazy woman they were like oh look over there at that window like they were trying to distract me like I was a small child so it's like according to page two of your birthday (laughs) they're just holding up my document highlighted but yeah I didn't even have gas nothing I am woman um we will talk about Bella but now that we're on that subject as you prepare for your second birth What's the view on that? Do you feel like you're going to go like get there early, get the drugs? (laughs) I've got to get there early. They were like, they said, if you ever have another child, do not do that because you will give birth in the car. And I was like, okay, duly noted, we'll not do that. I'll move into the hospital a week early and we'll all be okay. Um, Definitely not putting no drugs in my birthing plan this time. I don't think I'll even have a birth plan this time. I think it's just like, the second time round I don't know whether it's like scarier or you feel more confident because you kind of know what's going to happen but there's enough stories that you hear that like I just don't think you should be frightened by birth at all it's not something I look forward to per se um but it is a beautiful experience in the weirdest most craziest way ever because it's like you've never felt more powerful in your life because only half the world gets to do that or like not even half because a a lot of women don't even get the opportunity to do that these days like we're so lucky and it's a crazy experience but like it gives you your favorite thing in the world at the end and I guess like ultimately the way I've been thinking about it is this is why we're here this is why our bodies are uniquely formulated the way they are so that we can carry and deliver and it's just trusting that divine feminism is like this is really I mean we can have the careers and incredible so we should and we should also have the choice if we want to have kids or not but for those women who do want to have kids it's like ultimately if we think about purpose like that's really truly when you get down to it 
why we're here. Yeah. You know, for not sure. for everyone, but you know. Yeah. For some definitely. Women. And yeah. it's I feel really lucky to have gone through it. And it definitely gives you a whole new perspective of your own mum and mothers and women in general. You're like, wow. Like I knew what happened, but you don't know what happens until Taj is still tra- absolutely traumatised. <laughs> like you can't even say the word. He's going to have to go on like a week vacay and come back when the baby's out. <laughs> He's got like PTSD from it. Um, he was so good though, but we actually, and I think this is definitely not for everyone, but I would highly advise you to do this. We put a GoPro in the corner of the room. Um, Such a surfer thing to do. Yeah, I know. <laughs> I well, like, I mean, if I, I would set up my phone, but it probably would have died with the duration. But He's like, I'll just get the GoPro off my surfboard. <laughs> he puts it on his head, like one, on one of those little helmet things. No, it was just like, because it's so small, you don't notice it's there. I mean, you don't notice anything's going on, to be honest. But because I had a water birth, it was like, you couldn't see what you don't want to see you could only see like my arms and legs hanging over the bath but because you have those hormones that wipe your brain I was like I my friends that have given birth before are like you honestly can't remember anything like and I just wanted to have the opportunity to go back and watch it if I wanted to and for a long time I was like oh do I want to it was like watching it through my eyes and me and my girlfriends had a wine and one of my girlfriends is the funniest human like the stuff that comes out of her brain I would love to be in there for a second Tani she was actually on top model as well but she just notices the funniest things and like says the funniest things and she was just looking at it with like a head tilt and cross-eyed and she's like why does Taj keep smiling? And because I wasn't looking at Taj, I was like looking at my reaction because I wanted to know what I was like. And like, I was trying to go back there in my head and remember what had happened. And he was, he had his legs in the bath and he had his pants rolled up and you could tell he had a really sore back from leaning over because it was like three hours or whatever. Like we're starting to get sore and dead legs just from sitting on these comfy cushions here. Like he was leaning over, but obviously he couldn't whinge about his sore back because I was pushing out a baby. He just had this like really awkward smile on his face the whole time. Like a like completely terrified smile because he was trying to be that strong person. It was actually really funny to go back and watch that. So this is interesting. I might consider videoing the... Yeah. I, I was like, I don't want anyone to see. I was like, Taj, you stay up at my head. Like, <laughs> do not even... You don't want to burn down your favourite pub, as they say. Like, (laughs) no. Like, I was very particular with that. I was like, I remember I got a bikini wax really heavily pregnant because I was like, I'm just going to prepare myself. Um, I was like, I don't want anyone to see. They came in halfway through and they were like, we've got student teachers. Do you mind if they come? And I looked up at them with desperation. I was like, if they can help, bring them in. Like... (laughs) bring anyone in that's going to help me right now. It's so funny that what you think you're going to be like and what actually happens. It's quite hilarious. I love hearing birthing stories, except I was trying to watch The Bachelor the other night and that um, one born every minute. Has anyone seen that or the ad? It's just like birthing stories. You can have a giggle at the end watching a woman do it. I was watching The Bachelor. Yeah, guilty pleasure. And this there's a new show called one born every minute and it's literally you go through the labor and the birth with this woman and at the very start of the ad you just hear her like 
moan and it's not a good moan and it it was like PTSD. I was like, oh, like I'm just trying to watch The Bachelor. Like why are you taking me <laughs> to this place? Just let me be. This is like my time to chill out and I'm like sitting here with this pregnant belly like, oh, my God. I it's going to happen again. I know. I'm in denial. Surely the male could do the second one. Mm. Like it's so unfair. We've got to deal with puberty and periods we've got to have our periods our whole life so we can then push a baby mm. out at the end that is not fair <laughs> i was like taj you're gonna get a vasectomy because i want to watch you do something like yeah you've you got to, to do one thing i was like this is not fair like we deal with a lot and then menopause and then like mm. just so many things and there isn't that long between really like having our babies now as we do it when we get older and then menopause? No. Like it's kind of, we don't really get many years of no. if you're not sort of rearing a child, then you're starting to. Um, can you tell us, um, and I guess this is a bit of a personal question for me as well, but when you thought about becoming a mother, how different was the reality of motherhood and also – did you think you were going to parent differently than you do? 100%. I was like, no screen time, going to eat organic vegetables. I'm like, take the iPad, take this bowl of pasta that I've given you and just shh for a second. <laughs> but that's what I feel like. You see these mums on Instagram and they're like, they give, they like hand blend this organic baby food. It's like, I think think that I feel like that's like my I don't think that anyone's watching me on Instagram but of the little people that do I feel like that's my purpose to like I I've had so many people send me so many messages like why have a kid when you whinge about her so much and I'm like because you know why because there's so many people with these perfect filtered lives on Instagram I love calling my kid an asshole because a she is an asshole a lot of the time and it's just like that's why we have so much, like, uh, such a hard time when parenthood comes around and you're like, oh, my God, what have I done? Because no one tells you the reality of things. No one tells you when you first have a newborn that they go home in a nappy and you go home in a nappy. Like, uh, this was not in the pamphlet. Where's, like, right now I've got, like, dermatitis on my face. I'm like, weren't we told we get a pregnancy glow? Like, where, where is all this stuff that they don't tell you? And even though I'm a mother already, there's still stuff I don't – there's still so much stuff I don't know. And then you tell these stories when it happens to you and everyone's like, oh, yeah, I did that too. Oh, yeah, I've been through that. And it's like, why did you not tell me? Why Prepare aren't we talking me for about this, this stuff? Yes, yeah, and that your feet like grow aside and that your shoes might not fit afterwards. Yeah, and we're also different too. Like, like all these different things happen. So, like, you're constantly finding out new things that can happen to you. And, like, I just love saying whatever I need to say and I love letting out my absolute worst moments because I feel like if you know it could come, then it's just easier to prepare for when it gets there. That's what I like about following you because, like, I talk about with offline like life on the other side of the filter, but yours is actually not filtered. My- <laughs> <laughs> it's gone too far the she other way. She is, like, a really cute kid, though. She's really cute. Like, she has that annoys me. She knows it. Little asshole. 
<laughs> we have this fight in the house because I say I'm the queen and she's like, no, I'm the queen. I'm like, no, you're the princess. And she goes, no, I'm the queen. This is like – and that's so like relevant to our relationship. It's so funny. <laughs> she's such a – and you can't get mad at them because it's my DNA that has made her like this. Mm. And I can see that. And so it's like you can't – you've got to go back and yell at yourself. <laughs> <laughs> um. I read, and I don't know if this is correct or not because I think it was on like the Daily Mail. <laughs> um, I read that Taj proposed with a burger ring. No, true. Is that true? True story. Oh, can you tell us about that? Yeah, I love hearing proposal stories yeah. as well. So Taj is not like a traditional romantic guy. He's actually really romantic. Like he surprised me, but he's not like a, we don't celebrate Valentine's Day every year or like do stuff like that. He doesn't like tradition. He's just his own little person and that's what he does. But it was Valentine's Day um, 2016, 17, <laughs> 17 and 16. I don't know. It was, it was a year in the 20s and <laughs> 2000s. We're not even in the t- – oh, yeah, we're not in the 20s yet. Anyway, That's baby brain. Um, carry on, Rebecca. And we were – I'd organised – he no, a week before Valentine's Day, he was like, Valentine's Day is coming up. We should go to lunch. And I was just so shocked. I was like such a nice shock. I was like, oh, my God, I can't believe he even knows it's coming. That is so nice. Okay, let's go to lunch. And it came around to Valentine's Day and he had a meeting in the morning and I just – put a dress on when he went away like it wasn't like I pulled a pair of heels on and did my hair or whatever like I just put a normal dress on like I was going to lunch and he came home and he was like where are you going and I was like um to the lunch that you said we were going to like what do you mean and I felt like a I felt like the stupid girl that was like expecting this big thing on Valentine's Day and I was like, oh, you made me do this like I'm not that person that's like forcing you to do these things and um he was like, mm, okay, we can go lunch if you want to. And I was like, oh, my God, what is happening? And I ended up booking the lunch and we went. And I was, like, really quite pissed off about it because I was like, how has this turned around to be, like, am I taking you on a date now? Like, what's happened? And he didn't get a ba- – he didn't organise a babysitter for Bella. So, Bella was at this lunch and she was a toddler at the time. So, going to lunch with a toddler is so – terrible so it's not well it's not romantic that's for sure and there's really good places down where we are where you can go with a toddler but this one place I booked was not one of them um so she was like being a nightmare and I couldn't even concentrate on what I was doing and but we had a really nice lunch and then we went to the beach after he was like no we got home and he was being so bizarre and like and this happens in every proposal story I was gonna say Tony was because they're all freaking out Tony went missing for a day Anyway. Well, I thought Taj going missing for a couple of hours was bad, but he was in the garage and I'm like, what are you doing? He's like cleaning the garage. Like today, you've decided to clean the garage. And then it, it really annoyed me because I was like, I'm not a girl that expects to get treated like a princess on Valentine's Day, but he'd like made me want that. And so I felt like I'd really like fallen into this stereotypical girl. Like I obviously overthink things, but I was like kind of annoyed and so I was in a bit of a bad mood and we went down to the beach and he goes can you pass me 
uh, my phone and I was like, oh, you're going to take a cute picture of us? And he goes, no, I'm going to order curry. And I was like, mm, that's romantic. Okay. And I was like, can we at least let, I was like, let's just eat it outside. Like have a little curry picnic <laughs> for something different. And he's like, oh, it's a bit windy. He was just like really weird. Like the whole garage cleaning thing. So bizarre. He was just like, and not his usually bubbly self, but I didn't pick up on any of this. So like, you know, when they're freaking out you assume that you've done something wrong and it just this big miscommunication anyway I was like do something romantic for once and I was such a bitch I'm surprised we even got this far and so he was like okay give me 10 minutes I'm gonna set the table up at home um and then come home and I waited 10 minutes and I just played at the beach with Bella and then we went up and he'd put like um a we've got a rooftop at our house and he'd put like a little blanket down and set up this thing and I was like see you can be romantic if you want to and he had this big coat on and it wasn't like freezing but he had this big coat on and I was like okay I guess it does get pretty windy up here you said it was windy he was so scared like he had nowhere to put the ring in his pants or like so he wore this big jacket so he could hide it and um I think I had asked for a burger ring maybe at some stage or he knows I really like eating. It's coming up again, the food. Um, and he proposed, but he opened up this ring box and there was a burger ring. And my first thought was I've forced him to do this. Like my do something romantic for once. He's found this burger ring and like, he's like, whoa, I better do this or she's going to leave. Like I felt like I'd forced him into doing it. And I was like, what? And I was like in such shock. And then I was like, wait, is it a joke? Because it's a burger ring. Like I couldn't figure it out. <laughs> I would just didn't know what was going on and then I didn't even cry. Aren't you supposed to cry when you get proposed to? Like, I didn't even cry. I was just like, I can't believe it. And he's like, can you just say yes? And I was like, yes, yes, of course. Bella was on the roof. She nearly ran off the roof. We just like lost her. And it was like very dramatic. <laughs> and then he put the burger ring on and we had, um, he also got a bottle of Bollinger and had it in a champagne bucket and brought it around. So we had a glass of champagne and a butter chicken and off we went. <laughs> but I like that. Like it was like so that nice too. that he did it at home. It was so special to us and it wasn't extravagant and it was just us and Bella was there and it was like, yeah, it's one of my favourite stories. Yeah, probably exactly as it was meant to be. And I found out when he was cleaning the garage... <laughs> He was actually sitting down in the garage with the packet of burger rings trying to find the roundest one. That was so <laughs> charming. <laughs> I I wonder if he was like, that's not it. Yeah. That's not it. That's not it. That could be it, but yum. <laughs> one burger ring for you, the rest of the packet for me. Um, we're going to switch gears slightly. Um, I know why I'm getting emotional. Hold. So you... Okay. <laughs> I know what's coming. It's okay. <laughs> why am I crying? Because <laughs> it's sad. Don't cuddle me or I'll cry more. <laughs> <laughs> It's not even my fucking story. Okay. <laughs> you recently lost your beautiful mum. Um, so I want to start by saying I'm sorry and I know we're all sorry. Um, 
you didn't share a lot about it. So I just want you to share as much as you're comfortable. And if you don't want to share, you don't have to at all. But I guess my question is like, we don't ever think about caring for our parents, you know, like you go through your life where they care for you. And I kind of have a similar situation at the moment where you never really see yourself as the parent all of a sudden. And so I just wondered if you could share for us, like, what was that time like? And yeah, just as much as you want to yeah. share. I'm quite open with it. Um, and like, it's the same thing. Like if anyone was going through that situation, if I could help them at all by just talking about what I did, I would love to do that. And I think that's why I do share a lot because I would love to help anyone in any way I could. Um, But it's this weird transition when you grow up and like you see your parents as this like older figure that's like authoritative on you for so long. And then when you get older, they become more of a friend. It's really bizarre. And my mom is just the strongest woman ever. She has been through the worst stuff that you could never imagine going through. Like she's Filipino and she met my dad and she moved over here and she actually had my sister before she moved to Australia um, and before she met my dad and she moved over here, left my sister back in the Philippines because she didn't want to disrupt her life too much because she didn't know what Australia was going to be like for three months to make sure it was like okay for them and safe and like a good place for her to be. Can you Like and my sister was like three Like me leaving Bella, it's really hard to leave them for like, it's really fun also, but it's really hard to leave them for like a weekend. Like you get this guilt and like you miss them so much. So that, that's like, I can't even believe my mom did that. She's so amazing, but she left her whole family behind in the Philippines. Like she didn't have, I think that move to yelling up was hard. Like she moved country. She didn't know anyone. She barely even spoke English. But she made such an amazing life for herself by doing that as well. But she um, later, way later on in life, she got cancer for the first time. And the first cancer she had was lung cancer. Um, And while she was going through treatment, she actually got better in three months, which was miraculous. She did this clinical trial and she's like just such a strong woman. But in that three months found out by like crazy divine intuition she's got really bad eyesight and my um she found out that my dad was actually having an affair she saw a text message he was reading and it was like so far away like she was meant to see that um and I don't ever blame my dad for that um because it was just like they had a crazy relationship my mum had really bad depression her whole life too like it was really quite hard for her and they're so much better with depression these days but like back then it was like how would you not have depression after being and like growing up in the Philippines in general the street where she grew up is like apparently like a harder street in the Philippines like not only just in a third world country but to be grow up on a bad street like she's I wouldn't even know half the stuff that she's had to go through but how could you not have depression after going through all that um yeah and so she went through a divorce midway through cancer treatment she quit her job when I was born so she didn't work she didn't know how to drive a car she was like so dependent on my father that she was just like didn't know what to do and she just 
turned into it was like the best thing that ever happened to her afterwards when she got through it she was like the strongest she had this like aura about her my mum she would like she's an oversharer which is probably where I get it from but she would like she was best she would catch a bus into town all the time and she was like best friends with every bus driver and like would talk to all the local gross like women that worked at the counter at IGA and she would know all their life story and they definitely knew her life story and I remember I used to be embarrassed by it like I would go shopping with her and someone that was working at like general pants or something would be like hi how are you because that's what you have to say and my mum would be like yeah I'm good now but I had cancer before I'm like mom you just say good like what do you mean and like I think it's the best quality now it just and there's also like a social like a cultural difference that like well like maybe they did that in the Philippines but she was just the best human so she had cancer that first time went through all that was in remission after three months um and then she was just fine for like five years and it was like it wasn't even a thing on a blip on my radar anymore I just like even almost forgot that it happened and then she went on a trip um because she was getting older and she like it's very very confronting seeing your parents get frail it's just like so scary it's like oh my gosh you just think that they're your like saving grace and you you're there your rock and then they start to wither and you're like oh my gosh like what's gonna happen well, I guess we kind of but face our like, own mortality don't we yeah, yeah of course and that's like obviously you never know when your time's up like we could a two-year-old has the same you know like but when you see it happening, it is very confronting. Whether like even before my mum was sick, just like slowly seeing her get older was just like quite terrifying. Um, and because my mum had me when she was 40. So yeah, sh- amazing. Um, yeah, and then she was good for five years and then she went on an overseas trip to the Philippines and she felt really unwell. She kept saying she had this like heat in her back um, and she went back to the doctor and she was like riddled like it was in her lungs and it had spread to her brain because that's quite common if you get lung cancer um and it does come back it wasn't brain cancer it was lung cancer that had moved to her brain plot twist my sister works one of the best neurosurgeons in sydney and she got in for surgery like two days later had massive brain surgery it's crazy how someone bounces back from brain surgery too I thought she would not be able to move and she was just like talking and up that night I was like she had a big bandage on her head but I was like oh my goodness like it's quite astonishing but got rid of that that was good but then the lung cancer just kind of got worse and worse and because she was older too um, I remember they would like speak to us and they're like they would give you your options and they're like look we can do the chemo again but she's like kind of old. She was getting really thin. She wasn't well. And it's like, it's really weird making those life decisions, especially for someone else. And because my mum is so dependent on others. Um, whereas if it happened to me, I feel like I'd really want to say in what happened. But she was just like, it was left to me and my sister. And my, I think my sister took on the brunt of a lot of it a lot more than me because she is older. And I feel really bad for that. But she almost... My sister moved back and because she was closer to, she was living in Sydney um, 
and she doesn't have children yet but she has a really great job in Sydney but she moved back in with my mother and was her sole caretaker which I'm just so thankful for. Um, she's so amazing, my sister. I really love her. And um, yeah, it was like, what do we do? Like, do we want to put her on chemo? And so she's just like feeling terrible and horrible for the rest of her days or do we want to like just make her comfortable and like make her happy and we decided to do that um and I actually we were engaged but it kept getting more serious and more serious and like I don't deal with emotion that well I like to joke about everything and like distract 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 um so I was kind of like I was like Patch Adams in the hospital and like but I think that re- like everyone has their purpose, you know what I mean? Um, and because my mum was just so blissfully ignorant of a lot of stuff, like it's such – that's an amazing place to be, by the way. Like it's it, – I'm glad she was like that. Um, and it was like we could just giggle in the hospital and she wasn't worried about her surroundings and she was thrilled to be in hospital this one time because she had a good view from her room. I'm like, how beautiful Sweet. are you to – yeah. yeah. Um, but then Taj and I, we like, we found out that she was going downhill quite rapidly and Taj and I actually had the chance to organise a little wedding ceremony. It was, we weren't allowed to have a wedding ceremony because my mum is also very, very devout Catholic. Not thrilled with my life choices. Um, but because... Oh my God, it, yeah, baby out of wedlock. <laughs> oh no, that is not, that is like nothing compared to all the other stuff she's had to endure. But um, she... Uh, we got a local priest to do like a commitment to be married ceremony and that was like the best day of my life. Yeah, I was I'm so glad we got to do that. And I know there was only a tiny snippet of it on Instagram, but yeah, yeah just like seeing it, I just really felt oh my gosh. the power of that love yeah. and um, honouring her that way as well was yeah. really... So beautiful. And it was really funny because she had asked me for this Zimmerman gown for my, like, normal wedding. My normal wedding. Like, I've had all these weddings. Um, (laughs) For wedding number two, she'd always asked me for this Zimmerman gown, but it was, like, it was so expensive. I'm like, come on, mum. I'm the one that's getting married. Like, we're not getting you the Zimmerman gown. My friends have a really good label. I was like, the girls are going to make you a dress. Like, you'll look great. It's going to be fine. And we ended up getting her the Zimmerman gown. Um, And she was actually looked banging. (laughs) Everyone was like, I can't stop looking at your (laughs) withering mama's boobs. (laughs) She like, and she just, she had a steroid that day because she was really frail. Like she was in a wheelchair and they gave her this steroid, which is like not that great for your liver at this stage, but it's like, what do you do? Like if this is one of your important days, go ahead and do it. Um, And she was like dancing and like, it was so nice. And we had to like deliver her back to the hospital by 10 p.m., it was, <laughs> it was very bizarre. Um, but apparently she like wore my veil back into the hospital and she was telling all the people about it and like they knew it was coming and it was it was just – it was very emotional. It's like everything you could have imagined it would be. We um, – there's just like this little pub um, in Ostermere, just in Wollongong, 
that we would go to all the time and it's on a it's called headlands because it's on a headland it's really beautiful there's this little beach right underneath it and we had planned to do the little ceremony there and there was like maybe 20 of our friends it was a really small crew we organized it in like two days i just wore my friends brought me a surge surge dress um and i bought a veil the day of from like this like i think it was like a formal rental place (laughs) it was really dodgy and um yeah and we were going to have it down on the beach and we're like because we had to tell the priest to be there at a certain time and we only had mum for like this short amount of time um so we were like the ceremony is going to be at three down on the beach come 10 to 3 these black clouds just like come and everyone was like looking at them like are they gonna pass are they gonna come Mm, and we're like yeah like whatever it'll be fine we might get a couple of drops like a minute before we were gonna walk down there it hailed I was like "Ooh, (laughs) is this a bad omen and like (laughs) this is like that you rain on your wedding day let alone hail like balls of hail I was like whoa this is so hectic but we luckily rented um one of like the big rooms at the hotel there that night and it had a balcony that was like indoor but like outdoor at the same time and we just all crowded on there and it was just so beautiful yeah yeah I cried a lot yes I bet (laughs) yeah and thank you for sharing that story because that's just like such a beautiful insight into I know kind of what we kind of saw but was very much your private um business yeah and I'm not a super private person because like I say like I feel like if I can I don't even know just being me being normal if that helps one person then that's great and that's why I'm quite open and I enjoy that but there's certain parts of your life too obviously and I just didn't want it to feel like now I'm quite happy to share that because I didn't want to be open with it at the time because I didn't want to feel like woe is me and it wasn't my place to like put my mum on that platform at that time. But now just because it's personally me speaking about my experience of what happened, I'm more than happy to talk about it now. Like it's easier for me to talk about it than – it's like it's not something you want to really – and I think I actually saw one of my friends, um, her mum had – early onset Alzheimer's and she put up a lot of stuff and that was actually really quite beautiful um she ended up reaching out to a lot of people and a lot of people reached out to her and she like does a lot of stuff um for research now because it's very unknown but like each to their own like and that's a thing with Instagram like I'm so sick of people telling each other what to do with their own it's like why don't and I see fights and I see people writing like heinous comments and it's like why don't you just scroll past or why don't you not follow that person? Like, who do you think you are to tell someone else? Like, there's a lot of stuff that I definitely don't agree with on Instagram. But it's like, let that people let that person just do what they want to do. Always, it's it's a mirror. That's the thing is like, whatever you're triggered by or whoever annoys you or whoever you think is oversharing or saying the wrong thing is actually bringing up something very deep inside you. A belief usually you have about yourself or could be anything, jealousy, low self-worth. So it's interesting now anytime I scroll past something and it makes me, I really think about, oh, why am I feeling that way? Because that's actually more about me than it is about them. But I really value the advice. That's really smart of you to like Mm. 
know that. I've been doing a lot of work <laughs> on myself. Um, yeah, thank you for sharing. And um, I agree with you. Like the more like, if you have a platform in your own time when you're ready to be able to confront topics like death, it's for anyone following, it helps us experience that through you so that we become a little bit more prepared should that happen to us. That is, the I think, the beautiful thing about platforms like Instagram. I know there's like lots more to it, but if nothing else, we're becoming more um, vulnerable. And one thing that worries me a little bit is like we don't want to confuse um, vulnerability with influence. I hate the word influencer. Yeah. Oh, it just sounds like everyone's like, really sharing now, but I'm like, are yeah. you sharing because that's your truth? Yeah. Or are you sharing because now it's like, it's almost a way to get more traction. I'm just seeing exactly. that there's a little bit of impurity in it. Yeah. But maybe also that's just like, my it's like the people that live in Bondi and like do yoga and drink green smoothies, but go on benders. It's like, come on. I know. Be honest with yourself. Like, and I feel like I see a lot of that now, but, and it's not even that person's problem. Mm. It's almost like society's problem. Like why have we made that person feel like we're not going to like them unless they portray that version of themselves? Like, I think that's what I've come to learn too. Like at first you see people and you're like, but like, why, do they feel like they need to be like that? And I feel sad, like, and like, even just a, a lot of the way a lot of people feel like they have to look now. I really contemplated, and I was thinking about this in the car, but I changed my mind because I've wanted to wear no makeup today because it's like, you know, you feel like you're going to an event and you have to like, like people get their makeup done to like go to a really normal place now. I know. I've been I just feel about sad. So and I, do you know what? power to you if you feel like getting your hair done and getting your nails done and putting a face on amazing if that makes you feel good absolutely amazing I don't like that that's people are like setting a standard for that to be like I always say a lot of the time and I think designer stuff is very beautiful I really love it but you don't have to have a Gucci bag to be happy you know what I mean like I feel like people are like buying beyond their means because like no one back in the day would have a Gucci handbag and now everyone's got like a designer handbag because we feel like that's the norm and I really want one (laughs) If Tash, if you listen to this, Christmas is coming. <laughs> he does listen. But you know what I mean? Like you don't have to do these things and like you don't have to – and then I put makeup on so I'm just like a complete walking like hypocrite. But it you know what really I mean? really natural. You actually don't look like Thank you have you. much on. I actually really wanted to wear no makeup here because I've got this rash and I was like I wanted to like – go offline and tell you that this is Honest really conversation. What happens. <laughs> to your face. Yeah, I think that um, – so much of what we buy and acquire is in a bid to fill the gap that we're feeling inside. I've never bought so much mm. stuff until I got Instagram. It just makes I it know. so easy as well. Taj is like, and I am very lucky and I get sent a lot of presents, but I lie and say, he's going to listen to this too and he's going to be like, I knew it. But I'm like, oh yeah, no, that was from a PR agency. It wasn't. Tony. It was to me from me. <laughs> to me from me. Love me. 
you got to do that for yourself. Come totally. on. Um, we've unfortunately run out of time. I still have lots of questions left. We Hold didn't, you, I talk too much. Yeah, but I love – these are the best conversations when it's totally off script. Um, I did really want to talk about your business and just how that all came boring. around. But <laughs> business is boring. Um, <laughs> you know, maybe there's a bit of a part two. Mm. Perhaps. We could do a little Skype we call. take Alison to get, get Alison to come back to Perth. Yeah, I'm going to come back to Perth. Um, there's a final question that I ask each of my guests. So, as you know, offline is an exploration of self and who are we without the labels and the following and mother and businesswoman and married to a surfer and model and the reality TV show. So when you're sitting in your true self without all of those labels, who are you and how do you identify with that? I feel like I'm quite the chameleon. I feel like I am very accepting of change and I've definitely grown into that because it's a very daunting thing. But I feel like I'm more than happy now to learn from my environments and continue to grow as a person. Um, I feel like I am more emotional than I give off um, and I'm quite a nurturer. I'm a cancer um, and I, harb, I take on people's energies and I gravitate to someone with a problem and I want to fix that, which is not ideal. Um, I've ended up in some very sticky situations because of that. But I think with my oversharing and stuff too, that's another thing. Like I really want to help people and I don't even know what I can help people with, to be honest. Like I don't even know what I can offer, but if I can help anyone in any way, I really want to do that. So I think I'm a helper and a nurturer. Um, and it's funny that you say surface wife because... I know we don't have much time and I'm veering off again, but I remember when we, we first started dating, we would like walk down the street and people were looking at Taj, but I thought I must have looked really good and they were looking at me because I always forget, like to me, he's not like Taj Borrow. He's like Taj. So I was, I was like, oh, I must be looking good. People that look at <laughs> my way. And I'm like, oh, that's right. That guy, like... I'm not the surface wife. He is Rebecca's w- husband. <laughs> or wife, whatever. <laughs> Modern day, you can be what you want to be. Label yourself whatever you want to label yourself. But yeah, I don't know. I'm very comfortable within myself and I'm very happy of the place that I've got myself to. And I'm learning and I have taken a lot of time to like work on myself and do these things. And I'm definitely not perfect, that's for sure. If I can share just from being here and receiving you today, I think what you're helping us with is just being more expressed because when you say oversharing, actually you're just being yourself and quite often what's happening is we're all withdrawing and holding because we're too scared to express what's actually true to us. So hearing you speak and just like letting you just – B is actually really quite inspiring because you've got a lot to say and I think that you should say it. Yeah, so I'm I really I think it thankful. helps you too. Like it's really not only helping others but you're helping yourself. Like getting stuff off your chest feels so good. It feels amazing. 
Can you tell I like the sound of my own voice? I get a lot off my chest and I feel really good. This has been very healing. (laughs) Does everyone feel good? Because I feel fantastic. (laughs) Um, Thank you for this. Thank you for um, being on my podcast and agreeing to do this event and for driving here. I really appreciate it. And um, can you please join me in giving Beck a... Warm round of applause. Thank you for not being scary. Thank you for joining us for this episode of Offline. Visit getoffline.co to explore more episodes, the online courses I've created to help you succeed consciously, and upcoming community events. Follow getoffline.co on Instagram and me. My handle is Alison Larson Rice. Lastly, if you know someone who would benefit from hearing these honest conversations, please share offline with them. <laughs>